All right, everybody, welcome to episode number four of the NYY Sports Talk podcast. I am Christian, alongside my partner, Chris. Yo! Um, so, Chris, we'll just jump right into it this week. The New York Yankees uh, now sit two games behind the Boston Red Sox in the AL East. Again. Again. Didn't we say that last week? Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened? Um, they faced the Cleveland Indians, and they did not even look like they belonged in the same league as the Cleveland Indians. That series ended, and I was the most miserable I've been probably in five years. Now, when we last talked, it was last Tuesday. It's, I, I know maybe some of you get annoyed with this, but I always like to put out a time reference here. We record on Tuesday, release on Wednesday. So they had already lost game one, Seve versus Kluber, right? And then uh, they had the rain out. And we had mentioned that it was going to be tough for them to take two out of three because of the doubleheader. Anytime you have two guys going that are notorious for, well, not really Montgomery's fault. They're kind of watching him closely innings-wise. But you had two guys, one one of which actually pitched pretty well in Garcia uh, compared to his previous starts. But he at least gave us what six innings that day. There was it was I don't remember recall and we uh, unfortunately we can't bring up Stack Guy Rye again who's MIA again this week. Uh, we hope to have Ryan back next week, but you'll hear him later on the show with his pre-recorded Ryan on the farm segment. Uh, I do know that it was uh, Garcia's longest outing as a Yankee. I think he did pitch into the sixth uh, last. Yeah. Was it Wednesday? No, so Wednesday, you, right? Was the doubleheader? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was the four-game set versus Boston. Yeah, so I was pessimistic just because you had two guys who one just hasn't been able to give you innings and the other who they weren't allowing to give you innings. And I just felt like if they lost both of those games and depleted the bullpen going into the Boston series, it was just going to be that much worse over the weekend. Um, Garcia gave you a good effort in game one. Uh, he, I, I don't want to hang the loss on Gary Sanchez, but the two runs Garcia allowed were pretty much set up by another Gary Sanchez, uh, catching gaff. I don't recall if they said it was a wild pitch or a pass ball, but it was a pitch that a competent major league catcher is supposed to keep in front of him. Even, even wild, even wild pitches are, you know, it's just like when a, when a, player throws the ball in the dirt to the first baseman it's never going to be the first baseman's error but there's balls that should be picked there's plays that should be made Sanchez there's been a lot of wild pitches some of which you can't fault him for but a lot of which uh, a major league catcher should make and I think it was one of those instances so you had another just you just wanted to drive yourself up a wall with how angry you were that they couldn't get the big hit in that game they ended up losing the game two to one um, that was supposed to be the second game of the judge quote refreshing. And then Joe just threw him out there without a lifeline. And I want to touch on this briefly. I know it was last week already, but I couldn't tell you how mad I was at Joe Girardi, uh, last Wednesday. Now you and I always butt heads on Joe Girardi where I tend to be the guy that defends him more often than not. And you tend to be the guy that wants to get him out of here more often than not and argue every move that he makes. But I was so mad at Girardi on Wednesday in game one in that doubleheader. Aaron Judge is supposed to be getting, quote, a refreshing, right? Mm. That was what the Yankees called it, right? Yes. Okay, so that's what they called it. Now, you th- you give him 
all of uh, the first game of the series off. He gets the second day off because of the rain out. And then you're going to give him uh, the, the first, first game, game of the doubleheader off, correct? Right. And then Joe throws him in there at the last at-bat of the game. Now, I know what you're saying, right? You're probably saying to yourself, oh, well, what if Judge hits a home run there? That's great, right? That Judge could hit a home run in that spot. But me being more of a pessimistic type guy most of the time. All the time. Okay, all the time. The risk is not worth the reward there. You're trying to get Judge to feel confident about himself, to be the animal that he was in the first half of the season, right? That was the point of sitting him down, clear his head, you know, this this way he maybe gets himself going again like they like the Sox did with Benintendi and people don't talk about it but Joe did it with Sanchez when he benched him in Cleveland and then notice the tear that Sanchez went on after he got benched in Cleveland right I think Joe was just trying to simply catch lightning in a bottle hoped for the best who who did Judge actually pinch hit for uh either Torres or Frazier was one of those two guys I think it was I think it was Torres I don't know though. We gotta look that up. I can look that up in a second. But, but I mean, I in any normal situation where Judge is just getting a day of rest, that's it's obviously the move. I mean, as bad as the guy's been, he's got thirty eight home runs now. No, it, in a normal in a normal normal, situation, normal it, day of move. rest, it is the move. Right. But that game was not a normal day of Agreed, rest. Agreed, because that that him not coming through there just made it so much worse. He he got the whole game off, and you ended that first game saying, "Jesus, this guy is just not coming through in big situations," and that's the one thing you just didn't want. It was uh, Ter- I just looked it up. It was uh, Torres uh, that he pinch hit for in that spot, which you know I know it's Aaron Judge versus uh, Torres, but Torres was uh, hitting. Uh, 302 at that point in the season and you know maybe you get a little rally going if runners then, if runners were on base i joe has to keep i know i i and he's been he's been very clutch it, he's just not you know you're not going to get a it sounds silly of me to say start a rally going with uh with two outs in the inning but you know you know Therese is a slap hitter gets on maybe and you know Gardy's shown pop he was the guy on deck you know to me, the move was to leave Judge on the bench because whatever good you thought you were going to do by refreshing him, you th- to you, what you basically did was roll it in a bowl and throw it in a garbage can because what did he do? He struck out to end the game. And here's where I really was upset with the at-bat, and now this is not on Joe, this is on Judge because uh, Cody Allen threw Aaron Judge five balls in that at-bat. And Judge swung at the last two, and he did not even take good hacks at the last two strikes. So not only did he strike out, he looked terrible in doing it. So that is my issue with Joe Girardi for, from last week that I just, you know, I tweeted it out, but I just wanted to verbally get it off my chest as we opened up the podcast this week. I haven't I haven't been a big fan of much that he's done. I mean, he's... He meaning Joe Girardi yeah. or Aaron Judge? Mm, Joe. Judge, I, I judge, I, I likey again lately. He's looked a lot better, but well, we'll get to we'll get to know, that as we move along here. Joe, he bet he batted in a different spot in the order for every single game of the four game set. I think against Boston, right? Yeah, sixth, which second, I, you know, I sometimes 
Honestly, like, if I didn't have to waste my time respackling the wall, I would shove my head through it on a consistent basis. Like, I don't like what they're doing with Aaron Judge. Like, put him in one spot in the order and leave him there. We've said it we've said it dozens of times in this podcast. You're one through five guys. I You extend the five. I stop it for. But we're, I, I, I'll agree with you for the sake of this argument. Your one through five guys should not move if everybody's healthy you're not resting anybody one through five should not change you need a consistent lineup out there these you know i know baseball is uh almost an individual there are nine individual battles you know every batter faces the pitcher it's not like a team thing where you can tag team a pitcher or whatever but guys feed off of each other right guys start to learn how the other guy's going to approach in a bat. They might approach their bat differently knowing who's behind them. So, you know, I like to see, have some lineup continuity there to, so the, they start to gel a little bit. Joe's too, he's too lefty-ready conscious. I, and look, guys like Bird, I mean, maybe Bird's not the best example right now because he came back hot and now he's, you know, people still are, don't know what he's going to do. But just as an example, I mean, he Joe doesn't allow him to play against lefties. But how can you determine that? You're determining that just because it's a lefty versus lefty. I think that's You're his... not giving him a you're not even giving him an opportunity to be successful against lefties. Look at look at how many times he used to sit Didi against lefties. Yeah. And, and then what? Every time he got an opportunity, he he crushed them and to a point where he was actually hitting lefties better than he was hitting righties because Joe gave him the opportunity and and he took advantage of it. But I almost, some of these guys don't even get the opportunity. I almost fell out of my chair uh, Saturday when I saw the lineup because he started him versus Drew Pomerantz. I was like, Joe starting Bird versus a lefty? I thought Bird was going to have the whole weekend off because of Pomerantz and Sale. But, you know, to Joe's credit, I guess he, he lost that page in his binder yeah, that day. And then somebody must have well, emailed I think, it. I think that was Joe's way of... Keeping, um, keeping Headley, Frazier, and Bird in the lineup against against the Red Sox, they've all been pretty successful. But what's if you you feel for Greg Bird in the sense that you never get a chance versus lefties, so you can't prove that you can hit lefties, and then the one time you do start versus lefty, you know, I wouldn't say Pomerantz is an elite pitcher, but he's a very good pitcher. He's right. been really good this year. And what did he do? He went one for four with three strikeouts. So now you're just feeding into the myth that he can't hit lefties because he struck out three times in that game. Yeah, so then that just that just takes Joe to the next level where now he's just never gonna use him. So do you honestly though, like think about it. do you think that Joe had it set in his mind that no matter what Bird wasn't gonna play? Against Sale, you think that yes. it may maybe if he what if he went three for four against Pomerantz with two home runs? No, it still wouldn't have played. I, I think that's why he chose to play him on Saturday because he knew no matter what he wasn't playing him on Sunday. All right, so let's backtrack here because we yeah, this is one of our worst habits. We always seem to get off topic, and we and try I- and keep it within an hour. <laughs> and every time we finalize these podcasts, they're like an hour and fifty minutes. Uh. But like we were saying, what we wanted to open up the show with was that they looked terrible against Cleveland. Like, you know, not that they they didn't they only really got blown out in the second game of the doubleheader, you know. But 
against the Sevi Kluber game, they looked like a wild card team versus one of the best teams in the American League because their ace outdueled our ace. They got the big hit. We didn't get the big hit. And then, you know, they didn't get it. They didn't really, they didn't have a good offensive showing in game one. They only scored a run on a DD hit. And then, you know, Montgomery, I can't blame him because they're, they're very inconsistent with him. Stardom, you know, go down to the minor leagues, pitch four innings. We'll see you in three weeks, you know. So he comes out, he gives up four runs in the first inning, the game's over, and then they get blown out. So, I mean, I can't really fault, uh, Montgomery for that, but again, it just adds to the the sweep and how they just didn't look like they were on Cleveland's level. I, yeah, I couldn't believe how mismatched they. That was probably the most, even with all the injuries, that's probably the most mismatched they've looked all year against any team. I mean, so they look, they just look like they don't even belong. And here come the Boston Red Sox, and you and I are <laughs> out there digging our gravestones for the 2017 Yankee season because now all of a sudden. And who would have ever thought it? The Minnesota Twins are scorching hot, climbing up on the Yankees behind. They were they even cut the lead down to what one game heading yeah, into well, heading to the Red Sox series. At that point, I don't even. I think I was more worried about the Twins than I was because I didn't see the Yankees. I mean, I know I said last pod last podcast. I think you asked next time we record, are the Yankees completely out of this? I think I I think. I was the only one who said no with certainty, um, but I I just didn't see them after the way they played against Cleveland. I didn't see them coming out and doing what they did against the Red Sox. So I was worried that, you know, at that point, I didn't care about the division anymore. I was worried that we were going to come into into Monday and not even hold a wild card spot anymore. After getting swept by Cleveland, you know Boston was just licking their chops that they wanted to just put the Yankees yeah, out of their it. out of their misery, and you could have easily seen them losing three out of four over and the I weekend. Ro- I wrote a piece uh, on the Sunny Gray game, which was Game Two on Friday, about how the Yankees had to win that game, and my point my point behind it all wasn't that if they didn't win it, their season was over. It was more of that they came back after an awful series and they win game one. CC was absolutely brilliant. You have Sonny Gray going up against Doug Fister, a guy who they have always owned. Historically, the Yankees have just smacked around right? Doug so, Fister. So my point was, even though the Yankees have actually been great against Chris Sale, this year, and they've had success. You don't want to go you into never, that game you needing it right, to win the series. You can't rely on that game to win this series. You have to win with Sonny Gray on the mound. And you know what? They came back. They did win Saturday. They did win Sunday. But just imagine if the Yankees came out and played the way they normally play against Doug Fister. They sweep that series. And it still, at that point, changes the the feel even more. I mean, that game was so big because then they they do go out and beat Chris Sale. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I have to eat my words because I never said they would be. But this was a team that, like I said, came back Friday after an awful series wins. They lose Saturday. And after that, I saw them losing. uh, They lost Friday. I, I saw them losing Saturday and Sunday also because that's just how they've been. You think they're coming back and then all of a sudden 
you know, they get stopped and it seems like they can't find themselves again for the rest of the series. So here we are Thursday. We're all doom and gloom. But, you know, CC Sabathia is on the mound who, for whatever reason this year, has just put his foot down and just been excellent. I don't even know another phenomenal, whatever word, whatever superlative you want to use. That's what CC's been in games after the Yankees have lost. Um and he came out there. He shut the Red Sox down for six innings. He got a couple of big home runs from uh, the Birdman and uh, El Gary. And the Yankees win game one. You know, then here you, now this is when you start. You think you, you think the snowball is going to start rolling down the hill for the Yankees again? Maybe they can win a few games in a row here. You know, make it a good weekend. And you know, Sonny Gray wasn't great. He gave up four runs. A couple. You know, he gave up three home runs. But again, he's not. I don't know what it is. With the guy, the Yankees just don't score for him. And interesting, and you you pitched at a much higher level than I ever played baseball. You did pitch in college, um, and I was at best a varsity scorekeeper. Um, <laughs> but Paul O'Neill, who you know, major league all star, you know, key component of uh, the Yankees dynasty in the nineties, said that Gray is so slow to the plate and I'm paraphrasing here that he kind of puts his team to sleep and it's like a, a malaise that puts over that he that he puts over the team and they don't feel you know they might not be as crisp at the plate and and on the field for him you buy into any of that at all I I do um I don't buy into the fact that guys are out there and you know that judges in right field kicking dirt and going, oh, what, you know what? And he's not picking Danny Lyons like a seven-year-old right. in Little League. It's not like that. It's it's more of, it's not so much on, on a field level like that where each individual guy is getting bored with the game the way Paul made it sound. It's more of when you, f- when you have good stuff, which I don't think Gray had bad stuff the other day. I think, I think he was making too many mistakes um down the plate giving up too many home runs obviously but you need to have some type of a rhythm you need to keep the your fielders on their toes you want to get the ball back from the catcher you want to get back on the mound you want to be confident in whatever your catcher's calling and you want to throw a good pitch you don't want to take too much time in between if you're struggling to throw strikes and you're really laboring that's when you need to step behind the mound, take a deep breath, and kind of and kind of regroup. But you do want to keep your team fresh. That's why they say when you when your team goes out and puts up a three spot, you want to come back out and have a one two three inning. Now, it's almost hard to believe that this guy was actually on the team this year because we don't even think of it anymore. But Michael Pineda, right? Michael Pineda, I, I, I seriously, I forgot. That he existed. No, so did I. So a couple of days ago, I was because you know I like to do a little prep work and things that we're going to talk about for uh, the podcast in the days leading up to it. And I was looking at some, uh, just some old box scores, and I said, "Wait, Michael Pineda was on this team this year." Yeah, it's crazy. But man. if you look at him when he's got his A stuff on the mound, ready to throw the ball, right? And he's feeling when he's feeling himself, he's ready to throw the ball, ready, 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 right? When he doesn't. He's shaking. He's got his arm. He's fidgeting. He shimmies. Yeah, he, he does all that, like that, all that. He, all these twitches start to develop. He sings. Yeah. So. Pine tar. What? On the neck. Oh, yeah. 
So we were just saying what I was just saying though is that he is the he's a guy that's like on a polar opposite. Like when he's feeling himself, he's ready to throw the ball. When he's not, you know, he's he's writing love letters yeah, in, in the sand behind the mound. You should never labor that much when you're I mean, you should never take your time that much when you're laboring out there because you want to try and get yourself into a rhythm. That's where Pineda was just so one end of the spectrum or the other. But and then him. we'll touch on this a little bit when we get to Sunday's game. Severino give me give me the ball. Like I'm I got my stuff tonight. I'm gonna paint on the corner with a hundred you know, Garrett, Garrett, give me the ball. You know, he's that's ready, a, he's ready to that's go. Not just a pitcher with dominant stuff. That's a pitcher with confidence. And that's a guy who's anxious to get the ball back, no matter what happened the pitch before. He's anxious to get the ball back and prove that he can pit, throw better. He wants he, if he throws a slider in the dirt for strike three, he's anxious to get the ball back and show that he can throw one even better than that. Speaking, of, all right, so so let's skip ahead to um, you know now we're one one series is one one, and you're saying to yourself. Uh, like they didn't score, they lost. You know, they lost a game. They, you know, they probably should have scored a couple runs in because uh, they scored a run quickly in that game. Guardy got on, Judge drove him in. They had a couple guys on, and they didn't score. So you're saying to yourself, here we go again. Well, Judge had the Judge had the double. Yeah, and not only were you saying like, wow, this team came out right off the bat and scored a run, but hey, Aaron Judge. Just knocked in his first RBI since when? August twenty third, I think it was. It might have been the Met home run at yeah, that point. That was that was his last RBI. So that was twofold of you feeling really good about about this team again. And, and then you know yeah, they didn't score again. Fister got in a groove, and you know Fister has been good of late. By the you way, you know these guys are major league pitchers. You can't. I don't care who they are. They start feeling good about their stuff. They get a few guys out in big spots. You know, there's there's your game right there. That's why that's why I also said in an article I wrote that if the Yankees were gonna beat Doug Fister, because of how he's been pitching lately, they had to do it early. And and that's what I thought they were doing, and they let him get into that rhythm that we were just talking about. And it was all that was it for him. I, I mean he didn't he looked like one of the most dominant pitchers against the Yankees all year. He really did. All right, yeah. So that was uh, Friday. Now we're on to Saturday, and it's uh, Pomerantz versus Tanaka. Tanaka allows one run in his outing, which uh, he's been he's been a revelation phenomenal. since the uh, all. I would say really since the All Star. I break. didn't think I was going to say that again this year. He has been absolutely phenomenal. It. I mean, if you're, we're going to get we're going to get ahead of ourselves here, but. If you're going to get Tanaka at this level, what's the way Severino's pitched this year, and you can pitch those guys twice in a seven-game series, oh, and then you can sprinkle in Sonny Gray in Sabathia, that's that's a tough rotation right there. Yeah, listen, we're going to get to Joe, but when we get back... Uh, we'll talk more about I want uh, I want to definitely touch on the pitching. But here's, here's my boy, right... Why? Here's the big hit in the game on Saturday. His triumphant return from the disabled list. Matty Bats, right? My wife's favorite player because he doesn't wear an undershirt. And mine because of the same reason. He's your favorite player because he doesn't wear an undershirt? Yeah. It's a little weird for you because you're a man. I right? am confident in my sexuality. Okay, so there, say... you, there you go. Uh, NYY Sports Talk exclusive. Chris <laughs> is confident in his own sexuality. But he hits the big home run, puts the Yankees ahead. 
and we're off and running. And what did I say? Go. To you? Yeah, I was just gonna say anyone listening to this, and we have had a humbling amount of, of listeners and downloads. So thank you, by the way. Um, yes, thank you very much. But if you go back and listen to the last few episodes, Christian has said it time and time again that Matt Holiday is the missing piece to this, and he asked me if I was ecstatic that he'd be coming back. And I said, no. I said, but if he comes back like like how he was, of course I'm going to be because he was, he was the life of this lineup. I just had a feeling if he was going to be healthy, he was going to – he was – Castro's been great since he came back. And we're going to talk about these two a little bit more in depth also later on in the show. But Holiday was the guy for and me. And also, another thing I got to say, you texted me during the game. I think it was Saturday. Saturday was Holiday's first game time back, back yeah. in the lineup. And I think in his first at bat, he popped the ball up. And he texted me and you said, he's back. He just missed that pitch. His first two at bats, right. he was right you on said, them. You said, I'm telling you, you said, I'm telling you, he's back. He just missed those pitches. Next thing you know, home run. Home run. Because you know when you watch enough baseball, you know when a guy's right, right. on somebody. You right. know it. You That's just... why Judge was... Even when Judge would hit a single here and there, you were like, but that's not. He's just he's just not swinging the way he was. Holiday came back, and he's swinging the way he was, and the Yankees need him to be the Matt Holiday that he was before he was on the disabled list. And now here we are, up 2-1 in the series. If you want to really have a realistic shot at winning the division, Sunday night had to be the night that you, you won. You had to take three out of four out of the series. Severino versus Sale, and Severino was just as good as we've seen him all year. He was, you know why, you know what made that outing so incredible? And we're really, we're touching on so much of the pitching right now, but um, the Yankees went out, and it was so refreshing. The Yankees went out, and they put up a few runs against Sale, and Severino came out, and he was just more and more dominant each inning. You looked down. You went you went downstairs to grab a drink or something. You came back, and he struck out the side. He was so dominant in, in just a different way than we've ever seen from him. I think it was against Mitch Moreland. He was in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I think it was after. Because the only run he allowed, it was unearned, and it was on a Gary Sanchez pass ball. What a shocker there. Shocker. Uh, but he was in a little bit of trouble in yeah, that inning. It was and like, he painted 99 on the outside corner. You're not hitting that. Granted, it was one of the first times I... No, no, no. He got. I'm sorry. It might have been earlier in the game he painted that pitch to Moreland. Or he might have done it to Benintendi. In that exact spot, he threw a slider to get... Uh, yeah, yeah. Out. But... But still doesn't go take away from my point be, that... If you're going to have that type of accuracy with 99 on the outside yeah, corner... Yeah, no. It's unhittable. But before we get to Joe, I got to say this. Wasn't that one of the first times you've seen the umpires go in the in the Yankees' favor? Chris Sale, I, I'm sorry, Chris Sale had a tough couple calls because he, he did. The ones that were off the plate are one thing, right? Even though he was giving some of those pitches to Severino, that's one thing. But Sale had a couple pitches that didn't miss the plate. And they were strikes, and he still wasn't even calling those. But historically, over the course of the last couple of uh, outings, um, 
the Yankee or his last couple outings, I should say, the Yankees have gotten not not saying they scored an abundance of runs that off of him, but they've been able to get him out of the game earlier than maybe the Red Sox would have liked because they're working counts against him. They're fouling balls off against him. So maybe it's not translating into runs, but it's translating into getting him out of the game. And, you know, maybe they can score a few runs off of lesser pitchers in the bullpen. See, the thing with Sale now is the Yankees have seen him four times already this year. Right. So when you see a guy multiple times in such a short span, it doesn't. it's not as intimidating as it was. And he's notorious for tiring later in the season. So yeah, who knows surprised. what he's going to be like in October? He's never pitched in the postseason. All right, Headley gets him on the board with a solo home run. I mean, I got Katie Sharp to tweet me uh, Sunday what his batting average is if you take out that atrocious May and he's hit over 300 on the year. That's incredible. Which he's only uh, added to that because he had three, I believe he had three hits on Sunday. And so the job Headley's done, and he's shown a little bit more pop recently in the last month or so. Even from the right side too, which is very encouraging. But, you know, one nothing pitchers duel, anything can happen. And who steps up? My boy, <laughs> Matt Holiday, crushes the sale offering, right? Gives the Yankees a little bit of breathing room, which two nothing doesn't sound a lot, but when you got Severino going and you score two runs off a of sale, now you're saying to yourself, All right, here we go. And then what happens? He did it for the Yankees, he did it for Tom's River, the hero. No, I wasn't really the dominant hero. against Chris Sale. But and I I don't know if I texted you this or I said I but I said it. Sale buzzed him in that at bat. And what doesn't yeah, and Todd Frazier what doesn't Todd Frazier like? <laughs> he doesn't like when people come inside on him. And I said I would have almost bet anything that he was going to hit a home run off a of sale in that at bat. And yep. the Yankees went back to back. Uh, three nothing. Got sale out of the game. They were able to bust it open. Casher with the big bases clearing, double. Judge hits a monster home run, and the Yankees are off and running. And now, which take three out of four, we get the lead down to three. And now we're here Labor Day afternoon. Baltimore Orioles. They're immediately down three nothing. And you're like, Jesus, can't this team just put anything together? Can't they put a run together? And then all of a sudden, Montgomery gets in a groove. The green machine comes in, shuts down Baltimore. And now Yankees come back, score seven runs unanswered, win the game 7-4. And you're saying to yourself, this holiday's back, Castro's back. Judge had a four-walk performance, which... With a hit. With a hit, which people are like, oh, what's four walks? But to me, it says he's seen the ball better. Some of those pitches he took were really, really tough pitches to take. It was very, also very encouraging to see him do that. But you're about to say what I was going to ask you. What did you feel when that when they came back and they won that game? You felt that these were the June Yankees. There you go. That, that's and exactly. that's what they need. You didn't realize how because because Torres has been so clutch and so great for this team. You don't realize the impact of not having Castro or Holiday or. But it's a big, it's a big loss. When As we sit here Tuesday guys. afternoon and record this, Torres is great. We've sung his praises so many times on this show, right? He's not a game changer like Starlin Castro is. Excuse me, Castro busted that game open on Sunday night with the big trip with the big double, right? That's what he provides you, and then 
The Yankees tied a game. Who gets the go-ahead home run yesterday? Starlin Castro. First go-ahead home run of the season for the Yankees, by the way, from him. Yeah, so he brings that dynamic of being a prodigious run producer that as much as we love to Reyes, he just he just doesn't bring. I agree. All right, let's get to Joe. All right, so yes, uh, uh, we got Joe Girardi on the phone here today, <laughs> yeah, Joe. Okay. No, um, but in all seriousness, so that was the week in review. You know, you know, you feel a little bit better about the Yankees than you were after the Indian series. You know, they're they've won four or five, but they can easily now lose five or six because that's just what they do this year. But we'll talk. You know, we uh, pre-recorded this interview with Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. That's just one of the topics we touched on with Joe. Um, so let's uh, play that interview for you right now. Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. All right. Uh, we're here with our special guest uh, this evening, uh, Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Joe, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How you guys doing? All right. Not too bad. Um, so we got Sean to talk a little Yankee baseball. And uh, I know Chris doesn't want me to, but we're going to sneak in a WWE question at the end because uh, you also cover WWE for uh, the Sporting News, so we'll uh, sneak that one in at the end. Let's get started here. Um, have you ever seen a team like the New York, like the 2017 New York Yankees, who they didn't even look like they belonged in the same league as the Cleveland Indians last week, and then now they're uh, they've won four out of five beating uh, the Baltimore Orioles yesterday. And um, they took three out of four from Boston at home. Have you ever seen a Jekyll and Hyde act like the Yankees seem to do every other week? Uh, you know what? I can I can think of one one or two teams, and that's the uh, 2016 Yankees and the 2015 Yankees. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I don't know what it is about about these teams these last few years, and obviously it's totally it's a different construct from last year. But what you saw last year was a lot of streaks were like, all right, this team looks like a playoff team, you know, potentially they could do some damage. And then they just go completely dead offensively. And uh, it's the same story this year. There are some weeks where they look really good and you see the talent coming through and injuries have been a part two. But then there are weeks where you're like, this team is, you know, they're just not that good. And uh, I don't know what it is, if it's growing pains, if you want to attribute it to that, but yeah, I, I think it's been a trend the last few years. I don't know what you can point to, but uh, reminiscent of those teams for sure. Well, I, I want to touch on uh, I want to touch on Severino, but I just want to say, talking about the whole growing pains thing, you almost didn't realize because guys like Torres stepped up this year, you didn't realize how much this offense missed guys like Castro in the lineup. Uh, so to, to have them come back and to have them kind of have another power surge here. In these last week of games, has been pretty encouraging. But I think above all that, me and Christian were talking. I think it was last week um, about how Severino's our ace. I, I think you can give it to him here. Tanaka's been phenomenal of late, but Severino has just seemed to have that dominant stuff almost all year. And we were talking how when he faced guys like Sale or Kluber, you could tell he wasn't at that level just yet he was still he was still above 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 the normal realm of of pitcher but he wasn't at that top notch yet and you know what the other day it was the first time against uh against the Red Sox that I watched him pitch and I said you know what he actually is if he's not there he's close to being considered the top of the top uh in at least in the AL 
for for best pitcher. Yeah, I definitely I don't think that's unfair. Um and the thing is with with Severino uh last year he came in a little muscle, a little muscle heavy and the team told him, "All right, you got to cut the muscle." Obviously, you heard about the adjustments that Pedro helped him with, uh, Pedro Martinez helped him with in the offseason this year. Uh yeah, he he's really I mean, he's what, 23 and he's really starting to shine. Uh and you see now why the Yankees didn't want to trade him to Colorado when there were talks with Tulowitzki, uh wanting to get him over here. But what a disaster that trade would have yeah, been at I, this point, right? Yeah, for yeah, for sure. And and honestly, I mean, this is a tangent, but I don't know if it's because uh, Tulowitzki kind of doesn't want to be in Toronto or or what have you, because everybody knew how bad he wanted to be a Yankee, and uh, showing up to Yankee games when he was injured and. Uh, seeing specialists and stuff like that, but yeah, I think it, it worked out. It definitely worked out for the Yankees uh, for sure. And you're seeing now why the Yankees they showed that restraint with Severino. And some things take time. Pitching is not easy. Not everybody can come up and be a Kershaw. Not everybody can come up and be, you know, this next best thing. But yeah, you're seeing now the talent with Severino. Why they were so reluctant to uh, just give up on him as a starter, which is uh, and it's really worked out for them so far. Well, we all know that no matter how great the pitching is, you can't win ball games unless you score runs because the Yankees have had above-average starting pitching for most of the season, even since I would say they've been a below 500 team for most of the year. After they had that hot start, they still had really great starting pitching. But as we've seen in the last few games, uh, the offense is healthy now. They got Holiday back. They got Bird back. Uh, Castro had a big game yesterday. So... I've been a big proponent that I personally think that Holiday was the biggest missing piece to this offense. Would you agree with that, or would you say that it it might have even been Castro, or or even the Yankees were in need of some left-handed power? So now that they they got Bird back, maybe he was a, a missing piece for them also. I think you know what it's tough to say because each of them brings a different element to the table. Uh, I'm sure that the team missed Holiday for his leadership, obviously for his bat. Uh, I'm sure that the team missed Bird because uh, he's another one of these young guys, and he gives you power from the left side, which is what they kind of need. And Castro's a guy that's just he's going to go out there, he's going to hit 280, 285. Uh, he's going to give you some pop. Very good defender at second. Uh, you you just slot him in there. You don't really have to worry about him. So, I mean, if you're gun to my head, if I had to pick any one of the three, I I'm going to say Holiday. Uh, I. Bird, you could have kind of done without, I think, especially with the way that Headley was playing. I know Frazier is a very hit-or-miss guy since the trade. Uh, but Holiday was really uh, – sorry, Headley was really giving you something at first base. Uh, and Holiday is the guy that, you know, locker room guy, young team. They all look up to him. Aaron Judge has said multiple times how much Matt Holiday means to the team, how much he means to him as a player. So I'm going to say Holiday. I think he's he's definitely been missed, and and you're going to see it now at the in the stretch run. Uh, the guy's hungry. He's aging, but he's hungry, and he wants to win in the twilight of his career. And I think that's a that's a big thing for a young team. Quickly touching on the whole Headley thing, uh, he's actually been pretty great this year. If you take out his May, the one thing he was lacking was not only power, but he was an automatic out from the right side. And all of a sudden, within the last week or so. That's not the case anymore. And, and you know what? That that goes to further uh, back your your theory of, you know, they might have been able to do without Bird for, for the rest of this year. Yeah, and, and you know what? Part of me, 
part of me uh, really thinks that the Yankees are going to take a hard, hard look at Eric Hosmer uh, this offseason. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. It's just a gut feeling. It seems like it's, a, it's just a natural fit. Uh, I know that Bird is, you know, he's a younger guy. He's shown flashes in the past, but, you know, health was the question. Hopefully he's got it figured out now. Hopefully the doctor's got it all figured out now. Obviously missed all last year with the shoulder, but... Yeah, I, I'm still not 100% sold that Bird is the guy of the future for the Yankees, but I think that uh, he's there now, and we'll see. We'll see going forward. I'm, uh, like I said, I think that they're going to give a really, really hard look at Eric Hosmer. I know they don't want to add payroll, but Eric Hosmer is a sure thing, and he's kind of had a great year this year. So we'll see how it works out. Well, what everybody wants to work out is uh, Aaron Judge and uh... – can he be – I mean, we saw the monster home run that he hit uh, Sunday night. I know a lot of people have called it a, quote, A-Rod home run, that the game was already broken out, broken uh, open, and then he hit the big home run. Uh, but then he – I mean, he had four walks yesterday. So, to me, I take that as a positive sign that he's seeing the ball better and he's not chasing pitches. So, I mean, he's put a couple of good games back-to-back – do you think that he's turning a corner and he can be a force down the stretch and hopefully into October, or you think he's just going to be matting, uh, just very inconsistent the rest of the year? It's a good question. I think he, I think he has the ability to turn it around because anywhere that he's been in his career, anytime he got promoted through the minor league system, Aaron Judge has had to make adjustments. And I think it's just another, it's another situation since the all-star break that Maybe it's a shoulder that's bothering him. Maybe he's just got to make adjustments, and I think it's the latter. I think he's got to sit down in the video room, really take a look at what he's seeing. He was swinging at a lot of pitches that he wasn't swinging at earlier in the year. He was chasing a lot of balls, a high fastball. He wasn't getting to the breaking balls outside. So I I think he has the ability to do it. I You know, he's a young, he's obviously a very intelligent ball player. Um, will he do it? That's the question. I We've seen this in the last couple of weeks where he looks like he's about to break out of it and then he goes back into a slump and he goes another, you know, 0 for 10, 1 for 15 type deal. So I, I think he can. I'm not sure that he will, though. I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a certainty at this point. To pick your brain on someone else as well, you know, talking about the future at first base and maybe the future in the rotation here. Uh, we record these on Tuesday and we got CeCe taking the mound tonight and I actually – was looking up some of his stats. If he if he wins this game tonight, gets the decision, gets the win, it'll be his first 12-win season since 2013. The Yankees will improve with him on the mound to 16-7. and seven. Is this a guy you think that they could possibly re-sign for even if just for one year next year to help the rotation? I think it's definitely on the table. Um, I think at the right price is, is the uh... – the right price, and I think one year is, is fine for him. I think he wants to give it one more go. Uh, the team is only going to improve next year, you assume, with all the young talent. I like CeCe in the rotation next year. He definitely brings a veteran presence, but the question is who's going to get bumped off because, uh, as it stands, you assume that Tanaka's not going to opt out. You're going to look at Montgomery, Severino. You figure Chance Adams will probably get a shake next year. And you're looking at CC probably in the fifth and, and I, in the fifth spot, and I think that'll work out for everybody. But again, if you're giving him any more than, I want to say probably twelve million dollars for a year, then you're pushing it a little bit, considering his age, the stress on his arm, his health, the knee. 
is always the big question. So, but yeah, I definitely, I consider it. I definitely look at them for next year and I see, I see what the options are, what's available out there, because you've seen that Jaime Garcia is not really a viable candidate for the fifth spot in the rotation since the trade, he hasn't been great. So I think that he's definitely an option for next year, uh, especially as a veteran presence with a relatively young uh, rotation. I think that helps a lot. Oh, yeah, I think, too, you know, over the last couple of years, CeCe's been the guy where you said, you know what, for a fifth starter now, he's he's doing better than we could expect. And this year, you look at his numbers overall, he's just been outstanding. I mean, to be 11-5 and five with, what, a 3-7-1 ERA right now, that's just unbelievable. And the, and the games he's pitched against Boston, uh, he's really been someone that it'd be tough to, to just let go next year, I think. I think... And you know what? I agree uh, to to an extent. And I think this year was particularly huge for him because it, it was really no more excuses for him, right? Uh, you looked at it a few years ago. He lost all of the weight in the off season, and he came up, you know, whatever it was, 30, 40 pounds lighter. He gained it all back during the season. He didn't pitch well. Then the knee was giving him issues, and, and then it was the alcohol issues. And so this was the year where you say to yourself, you know what? Uh, no more excuses. Not that, you know. Not that he's necessarily using them as excuses, but you can't point to anything else for poor, for poor performance. So I think that this was a really important year for him when it comes to that. I think that you look at it, you look at the numbers and you say, all right, well, if this is what the guy can pitch with a clear head and knowing his body and with relative, relatively good health, then I think that he can probably give you that for one more year. But anything more than that is probably stretching it a little. I agree. And, you know, the Yankees have 25 games left here. They're two and a half back, two in the loss to Boston. I think a lot of Yankee fans after this past week are optimistic, but we still have to be realistic here and look at the wild card. So I'm I'm pulling for the Twins to get that second spot because we've just had such success there. But who do you think, if the Yankees are going to make the wild card here, who do you think is going to give them the, their biggest run for their money uh, moving forward? None of those teams really scare me, um, but if you had to, if you had to pick one, I I have to say the Angels. And who would have thought that we'd be saying that at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. But I think, I, I really think that those trades are, are if nothing else, going to try and you know breathe a second second wind into the team, and that can do a lot for a group of guys when they're trying to make the playoffs. They're right on the cusp. You see management pulling some triggers, trying to make some moves there. I think the, the Upton deal helps them. He's had a great year this year. This is his best year that he's had in about five seasons. So, um, yeah, and the lineup is completely different with Upton in there. I think the Angels probably give them the biggest the biggest issues, I guess. But, I mean, the Twins are hot, man. The Twins had a really, really good August. And I put a question out there the other day that said, which team, which of the four playoff teams, uh, the wild card teams in either league, is least likely to make the playoffs? And it was an overwhelming vote for the Twins. And I said, I'm not sure I see it that way. Hot teams this time this time of year are pretty scary. And they had, of any of those teams in the American League, they had the bet one of the best records in August. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But I still think it's going to be the Angels that give them an issue. All right, Joe, it's time for me to sneak my uh, WWE question in there as Chris is uh, he's going to leave the room for a minute. <laughs> uh, so we got n- next pay-per-view is uh, uh, later this month, No Mercy. And uh, surprisingly for September, which is usually a throwaway month for WWE, 
They're headlining the show with two huge matches. Uh, John Cena versus Roman Reigns. And then uh, Strowman versus Brock Lesnar for the uh, Universal title. Just want to touch on Braun Strowman Lesnar real quick. Um, you think the time is now to pull the trigger on uh, Braun Strowman uh, taking the Universal title from Brock Lesnar? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think what WWE is still building towards is uh, you're looking at a Lesnar, probably a Lesnar Reigns WrestleMania main event, and that'll make a lot of wrestling fans puke in their mouth because <laughs> they really don't they they really don't want to see Roman Reigns, man. Um, Listen, Strowman, I think, is the pleasant surprise because looking at the way he was built, it was a very classic build where he was just destroying jobbers week in and week out for, you know, three or four months at a time. And that's a very, very old school thing to do. And he just caught on and he caught fire and he had excellent matches with Reigns. I mean, you really can't say anything less than that. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to do it yet. I think the fans would scream it from the rooftops that they want they want Strowman to win the title, but I just don't I don't see it happening yet. But he's a guy that he really came out of nowhere and in the future I could see him being a big time main event player. Especially if uh Lesnar decides that he's gonna leave again, go back to the UFC thing and maybe call it a career with WWE. But who really knows at this point, but I still see them doing a, a Reigns Lesnar WrestleMania main event because that's where Vince sees the money and I think that's where it's gonna happen. I mean, uh, what is it, back at WrestleMania 31, uh, Reigns, uh, Reigns versus Lesnar was surprisingly, I mean, I, it exceeded my expectations, but it also had the uh, surprise of the Seth Rollins uh, cash-in that really made it a, a historic bout. Uh, I see your point, you know, but it's almost funny how uh, Reigns is the one guy that's gotten uh, people to cheer for John Cena almost. Like, how many years has... Vince tried to get John Cena to be that 100% babyface, and he's always had the backlash from uh, the uh, older fans, I guess you could say. And then now it seems like now they stuck him against Reigns, and now John Cena's that pure babyface that Vince has always wanted. I, You know, and I think, and I've said this multiple times, Reigns is not a bad wrestler in ring. Um, no, I completely, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. People people seem to forget that main event style exists for a reason where you just kind of cash it in, you phone it in on your weekly shows, become the pay-per-view, that's when you really let it loose. Reigns has had consistently great pay-per-view matches. Um, that's not something that I would ever say about John Cena. I think with Cena, it would always take somebody else, um, higher caliber opponent than him to really bring the best out. But I think with Reigns, what the fans, more than him being a wrestler, um, disliking him as a wrestler is that they don't want John Cena version two, which is exactly what Reigns is being built as. He's going to be the conquering hero for the next 12 years. And even though Reigns has lost a fair amount in the last couple of years, he's still being built as the guy that's going to be the face of the company. He's never going to lose. And I think fans are just tired of that. They don't want to see that anymore, especially when you have other guys that they feel are more deserving. Um, they don't like being told who to cheer for. And I think, Reigns is just the next victim in, in the uh, the wrestling mob mentality that we don't really want who you guys want. We want our own guy. And I think that at some point the company's going to realize that, whether it's Vince or whether it's Triple H, and they're going to start giving us the guys that uh, we feel that we deserve, I guess is the best way to put it. All right, Joe. Well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. We want to thank you for coming on and spending some time with us today to talk some Yankee baseball and uh, – 
talk a little WWE also. Uh, you got anything that you want the fans to check out or where they can find your uh, your columns? Uh, yeah, you could just check out my Twitter page, Joe Rivera SN. Um, I got my writer page, my author page right at the top of there, and I'm I'm decent. Uh, I'm good for a decent tweet every now and then too. So uh, you can check me out on Twitter. That's probably the best spot. Thanks, Joe. We really appreciate you coming on, man. No problem. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the offer. All right. Have a good afternoon, Joe. All right. So that was our interview with uh, Joe Rivera of the Sporting News. Uh, once again, thank you, Joe, for coming on. And, Thanks, uh, Joe. We appreciate it. And uh, allow me to sneak in my uh, WWE question, which Chris was rolling his eyes the entire time that Joe and I were uh, talking a little wrestling. I didn't listen to one word. Yeah. Well. So... um now that we're back from your interview, you know, we said we'd touch on this later on in the show, and we'll do it now. Uh, Yankees pitching has been pretty outstanding for most of the year this year. The starting pitching and even the bullpen, now that we don't have to look at a roll this Chapman every day. <laughs> yeah, well, I, let's start with the bullpen because that could be a little quicker because the bullpen's doing what we expect it to do. Um, so you're not going to really pat them on the back too much. But this starting pitching has been absolutely phenomenal this year. And this is in, this is in a year where Tanaka wasn't giving you a fraction of what he was supposed to give you. So, oh, my God. He was awful for most of the first half oh of this season. Oh, my God. It, I mean, it got to a point where you didn't know what the hell they were going to do with the guy anymore. But just something I want to touch on briefly um, that I tweeted the other day because I think this is pretty outstanding. In the last 28 games, this was before yesterday's game, Monday night's game, uh, Monday day game against the Orioles. In the last 28 games, Yankee starting pitching has 158 and a third innings pitched, only 59 earned runs, and a 3.35 ERA. That is absolutely unbelievable. And on top of it, this is a little this was a little bit of a shock to me, but you're not too high on Gray right now because he's A, he's not getting run support. So he's not winning a lot of games that he's taken the mound for the Yankees. But B, he doesn't have that dominant stuff where you're kind of blown away every time he takes takes the mound. So I think a mixture of all that is why you don't know how you feel about the guy. But in that span, he actually is the same ERA as Luis Severino. So that just kind of goes to show that this guy really is doing a very good job against, you know, his opponents right now. He's, again, given up a lot of unearned runs. And he just doesn't have the stuff where you're too impressed every time he goes out. And I don't know. I think the guy needs deserves a little bit more credit than he's given. I think that uh, Yankee fans are going to hold Sonny Gray to a higher standard than they probably should because of what was given up to get him. They've been hearing Jorge Mateo's name forever. We're never going to get to see him play in a Yankee uniform. But, and I'm not saying that that's wrong of them, but what I'm saying is they're not looking at it from the right perspective. If you go back and really look at his numbers, they're not terrible. I mean... They're pretty good. No, Sonny Gray's not an ace. He slots himself probably into a high-end three, low-end number two. Well, if you have Tanaka pitching the way he is, he's an easy three. I mean, 
again, Tanaka's on a when Tanaka has his stuff, he's on a different level, big time. Tanaka's that splitter doesn't split. He's he's toast. That's just always what it comes down to with him. Um, I mean, they were on an incredible run up until that Montgomery start. Where what are they like sixteen straight games where they didn't allow? Uh, I th- yeah, I think it was it was sixteen less, straight, less than uh, three runs or less. I mean, two wasn't it? Two earned runs. I forget. It was either two or three, which is still incredible. Yeah, I think it was two earned runs. I'm sure somebody can tweet us the when you you guys listen to this, tweet us the exact stat because uh, I'm too handcuffed at the moment to uh, go back and and look it up. Um, but it just it just it when you hear things like that, it makes you even angrier because you're like, the what was the one thing that you would say at the beginning of the year if I we were doing a podcast in April before the season started, what would be the one thing that you would say would worry you the most about this team? Easily the starting pitching. And it's Easily. been it's been above and beyond what you could have expected. And it's been the bullpen blowing games. It's been the inconsistency of the offense that has led to the Yankees being this seesaw all year. Think about this, right? The only time this starting pitching this this rotation really struggled was when CC went down. Um, they weren't the same rotation. I'm not saying CC makes the rotation. What I'm saying is he's shown such leadership this year. And he would take the ball after a loss. We talk about it all the time. Everyone does. And he puts them back on the right path, and they feed off of that. Yeah, that's what it is. They need a stabilizing force right? rotation. Right, and he's always been that guy. So when he was out, the staff wasn't as good as as they are now that he's back. Not only back, but going for his twelfth win of the season. It's just unbelievable. Which is it's, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, especially considering the amount of time that he's missed this year. Uh, the team's won sixteen of his starts. I mean, you, you can't really say enough good things about CC. But just briefly, I do want to touch on the bullpen before we get to Ryan on the farm. He's got to chill the f out with this whole bunting thing, man. He really does. Ah. Uh, it's been so tough to express what I feel towards it on Twitter with the character uh yeah with the character limit limit but everyone's taking it too much for what for what he gave us if that makes sense it's not just about the fact that Nuñez bunted what I'm trying to say is there's so many emotions out there on a baseball field right that a pitcher who's in a game the way he was takes everything personally. And if you don't, then you don't have the right fire on the But mouth. he also but had I, hours to come down from that in the post game, and he didn't back off of because it. Because why would you back off? Why? Because we just talked about a guy who takes the ball, starts starts the merry-go-round, and you want your team to feed off of that. Yeah, but he could have been like, you, you know, after, after the game, you know, Meredith or whoever could have asked him, and he could have said, yeah, you know, he – Heat of the moment type situation, you know, blah blah blah. But he was like, "No, I'm in, I'm in center field every every afternoon. Come find me." Like he, because the, he called the it weak. What did he say? He called it weak. Swing the bat, and if you got a problem with it, come find me in center field. Like that's where he went too far, in my disagree. opinion. It's not the switch doesn't turn off for him just like that. You still have you still have three games against this team. You keep that switch on no matter what. I don't care if you're pitching or not. 
Yeah, but he could have said something like, yeah, I'm a fiery competitor in between the lines, yeah, okay. blah, blah, blah. Well, blah. Uh, tell me, Nooney, hey, Nooney, let's meet. You know, not that we are, we didn't have enough bench-clearing brawls already my, this year. Let's go fight. My problem with the whole CC situation wasn't how he felt because, like I said, it's not a matter of just Nunez bunting. It's just the emotions on the field. And he took Which it, I understand. And, Don't and get me wrong. I understand His that. problem was not just keeping it on the field. You know? And you can't blame Keep the media the, out of it, though. You can't blame the Red Sox for bunting on him. No, of course not. It's the it's not a bad move. It's not it's not Bush League. I'm not sitting here saying Nunez is wrong. It's, All I'm saying is, don't take it for what it's worth when it comes, especially to when what Sabathia he said. is historically awful fielding pitcher, right? And he's he got took the bad it name personally with a lot of adrenaline rushing. Which, and you know what? It probably fueled him for the game. You take if you, if a team's not going to give you a reason to get fired up. You take something uh, yeah, that they do. Yeah, I agree do. with that, but he could have backed off of it. And that's what he did. Nah, nah, he could have backed back off. off. Not, not, all right, back. If, not, they're playing the, if they're playing the Padres or something. Don't challenge people <laughs> to fight in the center field, though, after in the post game. okay? He that's where he, he didn't challenge a fight. Okay. And that was another thing. He didn't challenge a fight. Hashtag just, fake news? Yeah. Okay. He just said, if you know where to find me, i Pretty I'll much be what there. he was saying was, Boston knows I'm a fiery guy. I don't think they're going to take this to heart the way everyone listening is. If they do have a problem, guess what? They know where I am. And I don't Which think... Which is... It's an open challenge. It's an open challenge. When he screams on the mound, when he's fired up, he looks like a big bear. bear. Exactly. Scary. Scary. And we got bears roaming around our neighborhood over here. <laughs> <too>. so. <laughs> All right. So just before we move on to Ryan, I want to touch on Mr. David Robertson, who... Uh, who beat Usain Bolt in a sprint in the yes. Detroit game. I think he broke Bolt's world, world record. But speaking of world records for uh, Robertson, maybe unofficial, but can the man ever not give us a heart attack when he's on, on the mound? Does mm-hmm. he have to walk two guys and fall behind 2-0 on the third guy before he just, oh, now I got here. I just I just make you look stupid with some curveballs. Yeah. But Tansis kind of does it too for the most part, but. Uh, no, nothing's ever easy with this team, man. The only guy that seems to be effortless anymore out of that bullpen is Chad Green. Yeah. Chad Green comes in two and a third, two and two thirds. But Tantis too. I know he's had, he's not sharp when he sits that many games, but for the most part, ever since that rough stretch, he's been, he's been lights out. Uh, he gave up a home run yesterday. Whatever. That was a, (laughs) that was not a, that was a, I'm going to get three quick outs. I'm going to challenge you. Here it is. I know. I understand that. We all understand game situation, but you'd like to see a clean inning. Just I know. Get the game Because it makes you feel a little better. All right. So uh, we'd feel a lot better if Ryan, on, if Stat Guy Rye would join us one of these weeks. We're not good enough for him. Yeah, anymore. I know. He, he somebody, e- I, from what I understand, somebody emailed him after uh, the second podcast and told him he was the sexy voice star of NYY Sports Talk. And, yep. now, and now he's uh, big league in us. Yep. And he's just... Oh, I'll email you my segment later. Right. Yeah, right. Whatever. So, you know what? Because we're a couple of schmucks and we, we need to fill airtime, we'll uh, cut you to uh, Ryan on the farm right now. What's up, Ryan? Well, minor league baseball playoffs are approaching, and it was a great year for the Yankees farm system as all but one affiliate has clinched a playoff spot. The AAA Scranton Rail Riders went 86-55 and and were winners of the North Division. They begin a five-game playoff series on Wednesday, September 6th against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. That is the Phillies AAA affiliate. 
The Rail Riders will look to win back-to-back -back titles as they are the reigning International League champions. Double-A Trenton Thunder finished their year 92-48 with a winning percentage of 657, their highest mark in franchise history. They were winners of the Eastern Division and will begin a five-game playoff series Wednesday, September 6th against the Mets Double-A team, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Uh, advanced A Tampa Yankees went 46-19 and and won the North Division. They have already started their best of three playoff series against the Blue Jays Advanced A affiliate. On Tuesday, September 5th, the Yankees took Game 1 8-6. Single A Charleston River Dogs won the Southern Division and will take on the Greenville Drive. That's the Red Sox Single A affiliate. That series will start Wednesday, September 6th. The Staten Island Yankees have clinched the playoff spot and lead their division by one game. Their regular season doesn't end until Thursday, September 7th. And of the three rookie ball teams for the Yankees, the rookie Pulaski Yankees, the rookie Gulf Coast League Yankees East, and the rookie Gulf Coast League Yankees West, only the Gulf Coast League Yankees West failed to qualify for a spot in the postseason. So overall... A very successful season throughout the New York Yankees minor league system. That's all we got this week. We'll check back with some postseason updates on next week's Ryan on the Farm. Back to you guys. All right, that was Ryan, probably on a beach sipping cocktail somewhere, not really on the farm because, you know, we haven't seen him in two weeks. Two weeks, man. He says he'll be here next week, but, I, you know, I don't believe him. He's probably having lunch with A-Rod, J-Lo, and Gary yeah, Sanchez. Doubtful. Um... So, you know, Ryan touched on the Yankees farm teams. Uh, you know, again, I just you'll just get used to me pointing this out. Uh, Tuesday recording, Wednesday release. Oh, my God. You know, it's, people tune you out. So they Good. need to hear me re repeat things. Um, <laughs> Tyler Austin got called up to the Yankees today. Uh, yes. They made it official. I thought that was official the other day. I wasn't paying attention to what I was reading. You know what it was? You know what it is? The Yankees call Al Padrique say we're gonna uh, take, and then he says and then he said it to the media up, right and then the Yankees filed the official paperwork right. or so whatever it, just, it is they do it was it was a done thing it was it was known thing. it was known it Monday and it was just official yes now. um what's your thoughts on Tyler Austin as a ball player overall like he reeks of a baseball player I love it yeah yeah you you he, like, everything about him baseball I love it. What do you? What would you say is the ceiling for Tyler Austin? Like, give me, give me Tyler Austin's, career, like, give me an average, not even ceiling. Mm. Let's say an average. If Tyler Austin plays ten years in the big leagues, give me an average Tyler Austin year. So tough to say. I could see Tyler Austin starting out as a guy who hits more for average, maybe two eighty, two ninety guy, but. I see Tyler Austin getting bigger. I mean, he's bigger this year than he was last year already. Since we talked about WWE earlier, we're talking like uh, like shot in the butt bigger? No. <laughs> no. Just a bit he's he's definitely more filled out. I could see him actually eventually oh. can turn I, Can I stop you right there? Oh. We got we got some, <laughs> We actually got a text from Stack Guy Rye right now. Wow. That, <laughs> I actually want to. I, 
I actually want to bring this up because I think it's out of control and we'll verify it and tweet about it after we're done recording. He just texted us that the Red Sox were using an Apple Watch to steal signs from the Yankees. Wow, I'm getting a couple reports here. Boston Red Sox used electronic devices to steal signs against the Yankees. That's ridiculous. Wow. Wow. Um, we got to get more on that. Yeah, so, what did you cut me off on now? What uh, the hell was t- I saying? Uh, oh, you were talking about Tyler Wilson. Oh, yeah. I could see him turning into a, more of a power guy. A guy who's going to hit 255 and give you 30 home runs a year. I don't know. I... I feel like we just haven't seen the guy enough, and he deserves more playing time. But it's tough. I mean, Yankees are in such a have have such a good problem here with with where to play guys. I just I haven't seen enough of Tyler Austin to know. To me, he just seems like a guy that's going to run into twenty twenty five home runs a year. At what two seventy five? No, even lower. I don't even see him being that good of an average hitter. I think that he could. He reminds me almost. I don't know why this guy sticks out in my mind, but Jeff Francoeur. That's mm-hmm. the type of guy I think of when I see Tyler Austin. Like He'll be a serviceable Major League Baseball player. He might high-end you know, 275, 280, you know, close to 30 home runs on any given year. You know, and then he'll fade, he'll fade rather quickly and you know, be a guy you use for pop off the bench. And I see him turning into a guy who like ends up on, on the Marlins and has a nice career for himself. He'll be the most like everyday Logan, first baseman. Like a Logan years. Morrison type guy. You know? Uh, I, You know, I think Tyler look Olsen... Look how big he got, too. He's a, you know, Tyler Olsen reminds... He's the type of guy you want on your team because, he, like you said, he just reeks baseball. I just don't know where he's going to fit in with the New York Yankees going forward. Yeah, no, that's the problem. And, he, and that's why we haven't seen enough of him. But he's a great guy to have on the bench. I mean, is he going to... Is he going to... Let's say everything's equal because Bird's been hurt a lot... You go into uh, the off. You go into the off season with um, an open competition for first base. We'll say. I know um, Joe mentioned Eric Hosmer possibly. But let's say the Yankees don't want to spend the money. Would you? Could you see Austin possibly beating out Bird in spring training and becoming the starting first baseman next year? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm still so high on Bird. I think Bird is still the guy. I agree with Joe that if they do need a first baseman, they will go after Hosmer, but I think it's going to take a lot for the Yankees to get to that point. I think Bird has already shown a lot coming back. Again, now he's been a little more inconsistent, but he's also being benched every other game too. I know lefties are pitching, but he's still sitting on the bench. He's still not getting the proper playing time. I get it. Joe doesn't want to play him against a lefty pitcher. I get it. But when you're just coming back after being out since May 1st, this guy needs to be in five, six games in a row seeing major league pitching, whether it's against a lefty it's or a It's not going to happen when Chris Sills. I know, I five, know, I know. Games. But I'm just saying that that's why I'm still confident in Bird. He's still going to be their guy. All right, so T. Aust, we've, you know, we've covered that now. I just wanted to bring him up following the Ryan on the Farm segment. And uh, without giving, I'll tweet this out later on Wednesday after the podcast is released. I'll give you the official results. But we had two giveaways this week. Um, I'm giving away my extra Aroldis Chapman bobblehead. 
that I got at the stadium last week and a Finn Balor Funko Pop, which was in honor of Joe being on, since Joe also covers WWE. And the same gentleman won both really? items. Yes, he was the first one to um, answer both questions correctly. Can, can we give him the option if uh, he doesn't want the Chapman bobblehead that will actually... You still have those fireworks? No, we uh, we use the fireworks. We can go get fireworks. We'll tape a firecracker or something to the bobblehead. You know, why didn't you say this? Be- when I told you I was going to give away the bobblehead, why wouldn't you bring this up then? Well, I think we need to give Chapman a little bit more time. If he blows another couple big games, I think maybe... He in his last outing against the Red Sox, and he was hitting what he hit one hundred five against Pedroia. That's as good as he's looked all year. And he he said that him and Rothschilds were working on something, uh, his grip to keep the ball from cutting so much. So maybe they're onto something there. Yeah, because he looked he looked damn good in that outing. Maybe. All right, so you know, let's move along here. Been touching on it all show. I've been touching on it in previous shows. Uh. Yankees got some big bats back. Matt Holiday. Why do I, you know? Because I'm watching too many Vic videos. I want to call him Fidel Castro. <laughs> Starlin Castro. Um, you know my. I'm gonna leave this segment open to you because everybody knows my opinion on it. Who is the biggest? Who's the bigger return to the Yankees lineup, Holiday or Castro? Holiday because he brings both aspects, and I'll say that. And I tweeted something. Go back and and. Read it. I'm too tired and lazy to do it right now. But maybe I can explain it just a little better. We were talking about Holiday coming back, how great he is, how influential he is on and off the field. And me and you were kind of talking about maybe him being out has has some type of impact on Judge. So I put together projected Aaron Judge statistics within a 162 game season. I think he's about 30 points higher in batting average, uh, 13 more home runs, and 30 plus RBIs better projected wise when Matt Holiday isn't injured and is and is a and is a key component to the team. So I think that says enough for itself. Um, talent-wise, I think the biggest bat is going to be Castro. Um, but Matt Holiday all around being back, being healthy, having some pop in his bat again, and being the guy who we know he is off the field in the clubhouse, he's the biggest guy to have back, to have healthy, to have in good spirits again. Um, and I really think can can take this team down the stretch and and. Give them something to play for. All right, so let's take a look ahead at what the Yankees got ahead of them in the uh, next week. They got they still be on the road. Uh, they got uh, finish up the series against Baltimore. Then they head to Texas and then Tampa Bay. All three teams are in wild card contention as we record this. The Yankees have a five game lead over Baltimore for the top spot, and Baltimore is two out in the uh, for the second spot. Then they'll head to Texas, who's also Two out for the second spot, and despite being uh, for uh, a game under 500, uh, Tampa Bay is four games out of a 
out of a spot. So with about 25 games left to play, I'd say they're right on the fringe there. But Baltimore and Texas are, you know, they're alive two games out. Uh, you see the Yankees having any real trouble in the next week? I mean, like, when I say real trouble, uh, losing a series to either to any of these three teams, they already picked up the first one against Baltimore. You see Texas giving them any trouble or Tampa Bay? I'm, believe it or not, most nervous about Tampa Bay. Not because the Yankees aren't a much better team. I just hate those late end-of-the-year division spoilers like the like playing the Rays. You feel like the Rays want to beat right, the Yankees. Right. The the Rays have nothing to play for. I wouldn't say at, nothing well, at this point. Not right now. I'm saying at that point you're you're assuming, you're hoping if your team if the Yankees are going to play the way we need them to play, you're hoping at that point the Rays really Because they're four out right now, they could, you know, they could maybe even drop another game or two further out of contention. So, maybe when the Yankees see them, they're six games out of that second wild card. Right. And they're playing they're really playing spoiler I, I wouldn't say they're not playing for anything but you know so if the Yankees are nine game road trip they come back six and three I think that's a very successful road trip and it feeds in them into playing good baseball at a time they need to after taking three or four from um, the Red Sox right right so uh, Texas is always tricky because they can slug and it's um hitters ballpark down there so and you know Baltimore same thing hitters ballpark they can score runs but if the Yankees are who we think that they are now and they're closer to the June Yankees than they were to the July Yankees you gotta think they'll take care of business before they return home for another series against Baltimore which our winner uh Todd Mooney, whatever the hell his name is, loser, right? Just kidding. He'll be at the game. That's that's what that's our giveaway game. That series yeah. when they return home against. Uh, that's gonna be a big game. That's against Baltimore. The yeah, yeah. So that's a really big game. He's gonna have fun. Yeah, so, maybe he'll invite one of us. Maybe that would be nice. Todd, is that his name? I think you're thinking of that that guy who. Oh my! Can I before before we end the show? There's two things I got to say, right? And I promised somebody that I work with that I would bring this up today. And the other thing is, did you see the tweet side by side, Frazier with Jeter, when Frazier was a Little League guy, and then Frazier with the Little League kid from this year? I did not, know. Oh my goodness. We got, I got to find it. And maybe, I think I did. I think I might have briefly. I, know. I think that guy right texted it to us. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but... You know, they just don't want to let that go. They don't want to let that go that Todd Frazier and Derek Jeter took a picture together in 1998. They never will. <laughs> they only have however many games left to keep bringing it up. Yeah, so. because uh, I doubt we see Frazier in a Yankee uniform next year. No, unless can't. he wants to take. You can't. It doesn't make sense. I guess unless if he wants to take a backup role and come here on a discount, maybe. But all right conspiracy theory time right i work with this guy carlos and i told him i name drop him in the podcast this week he said it was the only way he listened because he doesn't like baseball but he's into conspiracy theories and um he's he likes to get his name mentioned on people's podcasts right okay he believes that the government killed marilyn monroe okay because she was sleeping with the president john f kennedy right okay so i flipped it on him 
and said that the government didn't kill Marilyn Monroe. The mafia killed Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy because Marilyn Monroe left Joe DiMaggio. This is how it ties into the Yankees. She left Joe DiMaggio to go start hooking up with John F. Kennedy. And we all know that, you know, Joe had some connections. And, uh, you know, both of them were... Knocked them? (laughs) They were were gone after that. So she was a hua. I guess you could say that. (laughs) So what do you think about that? I think that's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, it is a little ridiculous. But it leads us into the end of the show, which is uh, Irrational Fan Tweets. Irrational. So this is normally we like that guy ride to read them to us. But once again, not good enough for us Because he thinks he's he's the Marilyn Monroe of... uh, Stack guys on podcasts, right? So he's he's high timing us, right? But then he found the time to to text us that information about the uh, the Red Sox, right? Which appears to be true, apparently, yeah. from what I was reading. Pretty sad. <laughs> didn't really work out. I didn't read the whole uh, article. I if just, they beat us this series, I would be flipping out right now. It didn't say when. I just read headlines no, on I'm tweets. It, it didn't say when they did it, but. If they did it this weekend in the, the Bronx, it really didn't work out for them too well. All right, we ready for this? All right, irrational fan tweets. First one from AJ. I love the fact that dickless Aaron Judge sucks at baseball like I've been saying all along. Dickless Aaron Judge. But wasn't he with some hot broad? Uh, oh, sorry, I don't want to be misogynist. Wasn't he with a attractive young lady at a tennis match? Yeah, uh, over the from, weekend from Instagram apparently. So, what's he if he doesn't have a um, a male sex organ? What's he doing with her? <laughs> Maybe she's goes the other way. You know, I don't know. <laughs> All right, next one from Mark. I hope Girardi gets fired tonight and he goes into severe poverty. Hope he kills and eats Benintendi to stay alive. Hope he dies anyway. <laughs> So Girardi has probably made roughly $20 million as the Yankees manager. So if he gets fired, does he have to give the money back? Because hmm. how would he go into poverty? Right. Unless his wife has like this huge like uh, huge. Louboutin addiction and she just <laughs> buys shoes all the time. $20 right. million dollars worth of shoes. <laughs> Last one. But I, I will say this. I would like to see him eat Andrew Benintendi. Me too. <laughs> I hate that man in a good way, in a respectful way. Oh, yeah, he's a great ball player. We're going to be cursing his name out for yes. a long time. And last one before we wrap up is from Joe S. They should retire Girardi and Cashman and hang them both in Monument Park. Obviously, no one wants to play for them. Bring back Tory. Hang hang what, their numbers? No, them. Them from, <laughs> from a noose. Would you go to Monument Park if Joe Girardi's dead body was hanging from the from the netting? Maybe. You would go see that? Yeah, maybe. All right. So <laughs> those are your irrational fan tweets for this week. Um, so we uh, want to wrap up the show here. Once again, thank our guest this week, uh, Joe Rivera from Sporting News. You can find him at Joe Rivera SN on Twitter. All his links to his uh, his uh, musings, I guess. I can't think of the word that I wanted to use, so we'll use that, <laughs> that one. Uh or on his Twitter page. So thanks again, Joe, for uh, some uh, some uh, time today. Uh, you can find me at Christian underscore NYYST. That's my personal account. Of course, follow us at NYY Sports Talk. 
You know the drill by now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You know, five stars, people. Subscribe. Subscribe. Follow. Follow. Rate, review. That's it. I mean, come on now. It's, uh, we, we've been very humbled in the four weeks we've been doing this that we've, you know, we're, we're a couple of, uh, Yankee fans sitting in somebody's man cave talking into microphones, but we've gotten way more, uh, responses and download traction try whatever the word is the word whatever word you want to use we've gotten way more of it than we could have ever imagined we've had four weeks with four great guests i mean just thank you just you know retweet us like us follow us spread the word you know we got some exciting things coming up in the future uh we just want to thank you again thank you for listening uh Christian, I have nothing left to say today. Chris, say goodbye. Peace.